0: Today's episode is brought to you by Heineken. Heineken Original Lager is made with pure malt and their famous A-yeast, which makes Heineken an all-season, all-the-time kind of beer. I will say that recently, Heineken is a hiding-out-from-the-world kind of beer for me, but there is nothing like a cold Heineken at the end of a long day that feels pretty endless and pretty tough. You just want to like take a take a couple of miles per hour off the speedometer at the end of the day and just have a fresh, cold beer. And that's when I reach for my Heineken. Pick up a pack or have it delivered today and drink responsibly. Today's episode of The Watch is brought to you by the FX original series, Fargo. Family is complicated. Crime is organized. The all-new Fargo takes you to 1950s Kansas City, where two criminal syndicates have struck an uneasy truce as they both fight for their piece of the American dream. The new installment of Fargo, starring Chris Rock and Jason Schwartzman, premieres with back-to-back episodes September 27th at 9 p.m. on FX and streams the next day on FX on Hulu.
1: In sports, staff to have to clear the room. Stand up and walk. Now!
0: Hello and welcome to The Watch. My name is Chris Ryan. I am an editor at TheRigger.com. Joining me on the other line, all that Kang the Conqueror stock came in. It's Andy Greenwald!
1: Are you going to tell people that I'm wearing his trademark metal mask right now to protect myself from particulates in oh, the I air? Oh, I thought this was
0: a tribute to MF Doom.
1: Oh, well, you know, luckily, luckily, my interests have converged. (laughs) Chris, we have a lot to talk about today. We have a special guest, but you really want to get into an argument with our producer, Kaya. That's not an argument. I feel like I should. It's not an argument. Step back.
0: In this day and age, people, I mean, you feel so alienated from your fellow human being. And I'm always asking Kaya, what's up with Kaya? Anytime I talk to Kaya McMullen, it's Kaya Corner. But she knows a lot about me. She hears me talk a lot. And she knows that your boy fucking loves the Paramount Network's cable drama, Yellowstone, that I am Casey Hive. And she just casually tells you, oh, I've just yeah. knocked out the first two seasons. So, Kaya...
1: Well, first of all, in my defense, Kaya and I were just on here in our Zoom call in a timely fashion, and so it came up. Now, had you been here, you know, you could enough. have gotten it too. I don't think it was directed at me. But now, now I'm done defending. <laughs> Kaya, you must speak for yourself.
2: All right. And in my defense, I watched the first two seasons in seven days. And so I haven't even no, had time. No I haven't that. had time to tell Chris about
0: Yellowstone. How do you feel about it? Do you like it? Um, it's very compelling viewing, right? Like yeah. no matter whether you're like, this is the best thing ever, or this is ridiculous. You just are very, you want to keep watching.
2: Exactly. Exactly. It's very dramatic. There's lots of like very overly done dialogue. I would call it like Succession set in Montana, but not done by HBO, done by <laughs> Paramount,
1: and and not at one of like the big tech moguls retreats in Montana where they like ship in the water from Fiji for the taps.
2: No, no, this right. is no. like this is like real right. real cowboy stuff,
0: ranch life, bro. Yeah, yeah.
2: exactly. Like horses. I want to do
0: a, a Yellowstone megapod. Uh, it,
1: it, it's in the works. If Captain Woodrow Call couldn't hack it in Montana, how can I? You know what I mean? You can't.
0: I'm not even asking this of you. If I'm going to cash in my chips with you on anything, it's not going to be Yellowstone. I can find another Calhant to talk to me about Yellowstone. But I I highly recommend it. It is very, very, very entertaining.
2: The only caveat is that the pilot is an hour and a half long.
0: Yeah, the the pilot is just straight up a
1: movie. Yeah. Until you started talking about succession and cattle, I was going to attempt to talk to you guys about the show, except I would be talking about the French-language series Call My Agent that I have been devouring. Yeah. And you guys would be talking about the very American cattle show Yellowstone, and we'd meet in the middle. But Spotify has a work.
0: lot of interesting tech in development, Andy. We could do a pod once where we A-B, like the, the signals, and in your left ear, Andy's just talking about a cultish French drama. And in the, the other channel, it's, it's me and Kaya... Talking talking ranch work and it's a maybe very would...
1: light drama, Chris. It's a it's a comedic drama.
0: Oh, okay. Well, set it's in the it's high French.
1: stakes world of uh, talent agencies. One last thing before we get into our main show, I just feel like you'd let the cat out of the bag there. People may think that Spotify entered into an agreement with the ringer due to its incredible stable of podcasts and talented right. hosts and, and people, but it actually it was for the contents of Chris's I call it the vineyard where he stores his <laughs> mind grapes. Like Day one, Daniel Eck was like, Chris, I'm not even going to attempt to do an accent. Does the man have an accent? I've never spoken it's, to him. It's,
0: it's very specific, and I also respect him enough not to do it.
1: But was he like, Chris, I need you in the lab with me? Was he like, did he invite... Wait, Chris, did he invite you to join devs? <laughs> did you join Spotify <laughs> devs on your first if day? If I did,
0: I couldn't tell you.
1: <laughs> oh, I tried to trick you. That would be incredible. God, I wish this was all true. Maybe it is.
0: Uh, Andy, on today's show, we have... It's very exciting. So today, we have a special guest from The Boys Season 2. We have Aya Cash joining us. We've loved Aya. Our our old pal. Going back to You're the Worst, but she's really something else on The Boys this season. She plays Stormfront, which we will get into a little bit of chat about Episode 4, but if you are up to date on The Boys, you know that just... More and more getting revealed about Stormfront as we go along, and it's it's really quite a turn from her. Uh, I wanted to chat with you a little bit about some. We're just two guys just standing around the water cooler at an abandoned Hollywood production facility, just being mm. like, "What do you hear? What do you say?" You know, just like yeah. some stuff ha- happening around at Netflix. I wanted to chat a little bit about some of the HBO shows that the stacked Monday night that they have going now. So we're going to preview a little bit of that. Um, oh, and there was some some superhero stuff, right?
1: Yeah, there's always superhero stuff
0: every it's week. we seem like we have another thing. So, okay, let's get into it.
1: And, and because this worked so well for us the other day, and because my my older daughter has been watching Star Wars for the first time, I was going to come in with the hottest take and say that I discovered in the worst way possible that George Lucas has done something even worse than having dude. I know Frito I heard. Shoot it, first,
0: you, you were really upset about this,
1: which is like my 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 daughter watched Return of the Jedi. And I was like, oh, did you like the Jub Jub song? And she looked at me like I was totally insane. And I went down this rabbit hole and I was like, did that bearded monster rip away the greatest victory song of our childhood? Well, the answer is yes, but it turns out he did it in 1997. So was it like
0: a copyright problem with the jam? like eggs on my
1: face. No, I did think the writer 1997- of the Jub
0: Jub song, you know, want to do something else with the the IP?
1: No, I think he was well compensated from when Bismarck sampled it in the late 80s. <laughs> so it wasn't really, legally it was all square. It's that one of the things that was added to the movie in 97 was instead of, and this this is fair, like for people, sorry, spoiler, they defeat the Death Star at the end of Return of the Jedi and the celebration of the end of this like fascist galactic order was a bunch of teddy bears raising their sticks in the air on a tiny moon. Mm-hmm. And so they, in the Eight ninety seven re release. They inserted uh, shots of crowds celebrating on other planets, and at that moment was when George Lucas decided that the uh, kind of light reggae funk of and it's actually it's it's yub jub I think is the correct way of pronouncing it didn't really suit the moment. So he had your boy Johnny Williams score something instead, and then later he, he fucking put Hay- Hayden Christensen into the scene. So you know that was it's, a it's been a two thousand mid- event so we can discuss that in about 10 years' time when it catches up to me. So, okay, so no more Star Wars, but we want to talk, what do you want to talk, Capes? Where where are you at?
0: Let's do Netflix first. Um, Just because we've been chatting a lot about some movings and doings at various streaming platforms over the last Mm -hmm. month or two. Mm -hmm. So I didn't want to not remark upon this. So Cindy Holland is out at Netflix. And these names might not mean anything to our listeners initially, but we wanted to explain why this is such an interesting Story Cindy Holland's out at Netflix and she's being more or less replaced by Bella Bajaria, who's going to become the head of global TV for for streaming. And it, it's a reshuffle that kind of mirrors the way they do film, right? Like that now the film and TV arms to the extent, yeah, they're different, you know, they are going to be mirroring each other in terms of their leadership structure.
1: But in, this, in that there's one boss for the planet on each side,
0: Earth, you got Earth is this your jurisdiction, planet. yes, right? I Personally, mm-hmm. have been charged by Ted and Reed to, to think about Mars. You know what I mean? Like when oh, we get there.
1: You're lucky. What? I'm developing content for Endor. Yeah. But- <laughs> getting original music there has turned out to be much harder than I thought.
0: <laughs> but yeah, yeah, I mean, like, you know, the House of Mars, Mars House is of the Mars. New black. You know, yeah. that's good
1: because Mars rhymes with cars. That was good.
0: Mars line, Mars arc. You know, also, Kaya,
1: it took Chris 10 days to go from here's my pitch for 2020, I'm never leaving Earth again, to now just launching a new bit where he lives on another planet. And so, Netflix
0: Netflix's programming.
1: Yeah, so, okay, we're doing good.
0: Anyway, why is this such a big deal?
1: Well, there's been a lot of executive um, musical chairsing uh, this year, this summer. Some of that, you know, you could say is is pandemic related maybe people are looking at their bottom lines or people are changing careers or they're changing the structures of their offices now that no one is physically in their offices um a lot of it is also as the case with the time warner shakeups that we talked about a couple weeks ago had to do with the shaky launch of hbo max which is basically the the, the future play for warner media this netflix one is really shocking Now, does it matter to the consumer, to the the viewer in the short term or maybe even the long term? I don't know. As you said, Chris, like Cindy Holland, in some ways, the smallest footprint of someone that powerful in this entire town uh, in that I don't know if people had heard her name because Ted Sarandos, who's the CEO, gets a lot of ink, Reed Hastings, um, the founder, obviously. But Cindy Holland is, I, I don't think it's wrong to say, like personally responsible for almost every major creative decision that Netflix made in this first decade of its life as an original programmer and worked very closely with Ted Sarandos in almost all of it. So to the point where, I mean, I, I love being that guy that just uses personal anecdotes. I love when, it too. But when, but when Sam and I pitched Briar Patch Netflix, Sam was very concerned that Cindy and Ted weren't there because they personally were sitting in on pitches of shows they intended to buy. I mean, you got, the, the so. shocking
0: thing was that I was there.
1: It was odd
0: that they it, were like we, we feel like Briar Patch. If we're going to go with this, is a Mars. It's a Mars play for us.
1: What people don't understand is not only were you there, you were dressed like the Babadook at the time, <laughs> and again didn't explain the bit. So <laughs> anyway, uh, Bella Bajario used to run Universal TV and then went to Netflix, where in very short order um, she totally revolutionized their non-scripted arm. Like prior to her arriving, they didn't really have one, and then since her arriving, they have Queer Eye and Flora's Lava and Love Is Blind, and all of these shows that have you know in various times over their life cycles been the show that people are talking about. And so, not a
0: lot of people know this, but she for her Flora's Lava is like she lives that. So like when you go into her office, mm-hmm. the floor is lava. You gotta you gotta climb over multiple sort of obstacles to get to the seat yeah. to say.
1: No, Ted and Reed were um, actually glad that the pandemic gave them cover to shut down the headquarters here in Hollywood because the lava was dripping. Yeah. Um, So I I can't speculate as to can I why? Yes. Well, I I can't speculate as to why Cindy she just signed like a a new deal. Why she was out? Mm -hmm. Um, And I'll say that there are people in my professional life who I run these stories by. Like, not you know, I'll, I'll I'll text. I definitely love to text you headlines, but I also text people in the industry that I work with or know and generally get like the thumbs up, thumbs down or the like, is this, did everyone know this? And are we just finding out this was a surprise? And you could say, well, it definitely makes sense for the way Netflix's business is going because I've heard this anecdotally and I've heard this concretely. They really aren't buying pitches for the domestic market anymore, which isn't to say they're not buying American shows. But how those shows will play in the other growing markets is paramount right now. That's really what, what motivates them, kind of in the way Hollywood has shifted its focus on blockbusters as well. But but the reason for that, you know, is that Netflix is a publicly traded company that thrives and succeeds on evidence of growth. And I think from their own numbers and their own sense of where things are going, the growth is outside of this country. So right. so that's where the focus is going to be. And that's why they consolidated creative under one person. Um, and so here we are.
0: My take, which is both wildly underinformed, but I like, so I'm going to mm-hmm. share it anyway, is that Cindy Holland was the avatar and the sort of mind behind Netflix's initial play, which was to immediately start competing with the other prestige arms of, of television at the time, back mm-hmm. in the beginning part of the 2010s. So when when they start doing House of Cards and they start doing... Orange is the New Black, and other shows like that that they were sort of making plays as like more or less monoculture shows, I mean, I, for lack of a better term. That was her bag. And now if you look at the things that do well, at least according to Netflix's publicly presented internal metrics like the top 10, and you see a show like Away, which is, I suppose, in some ways, a throwback. It's, it's like a big budget genre, but prestige play with Hillary Swank and Josh Charles in starring roles, it's also like a very diverse international cast that's obviously trying to appeal to multiple jurisdictions like you're talking about. Like the idea that even a show that we would consider like classic Hollywood filmmaking, which is like, mm. what if we actually went to into outer space? What if we tried to go to Mars? And it has like a, this Jason Kadams kind of patna of humanism. Even that has like a, got to make sure that 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 these different areas of the globe are represented very heavily mm-hmm. in this in this show, and beyond that, I feel like Netflix has gone from we're going to have six to twelve shows in a year that might run TV or or really drive a lot of conversation to we're going to have six to ten twelve six to twelve shows a month that are going to dominate a niche audience and bring all of those niche audiences in. So I'm not saying that necessarily. Fellow knew that better than Cindy or anything like that. I'm sure everything you're saying is right, but you can feel even in your casual Netflix surfing now a difference in the in the platform now than say 2014.
1: I think that's absolutely true, and and the the business that they are is probably still not all the way there towards being the business that they intend to become um, to not just survive this moment, but to be one of the last ones left standing at the end of whatever this moment is. Um, can I pitch you on something? Mm-hmm. Been thinking about this. I, I have not obviously we we do streaming wars a lot. I can't believe we don't have like theme music for it yet. But
0: we'll never since, do better than Iger counter. So it's hard.
1: It is hard, especially since we Iger counted him out. Um, <laughs> we don't know what. There's nothing clever to say about Chapic chat. I don't know. Yeah. Um, I sometimes think we're we're overthinking this. This entire. Like which one is going to reign supreme? Who's going to yeah. succeed? Yeah. And the reason I, I I I thought of this, and 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 forgive me if this sounds basic. I'm trying this out on you in real time. But I think that the I think that you really can successfully predict which one of these companies, or which one of these streaming services, is going to still be around, just purely by looking at their names. Is this the
0: bit? Is this the thing? Yeah. Oh, I I can't can't wait. No, because like you've been you've been teasing me with this for more than a month.
1: Yeah, okay. I don't think it let me let me be clear. (laughs) This is not worthy of that. But I do think that in terms of there's so much angst and hand wringing in Hollywood about how the business is changing and how are we going to convert our large corporation and reach the audience and you know, the churn of people subscribing to one thing and canceling the other and kind of getting people used to what uh, ch- you know, literally, channel like what channel this stuff is arriving to us on, and how we accept it into our homes, and what we're paying for, and then like the m- the marketing and all of the tests that were run, and like surveys over who was going to pay for what and how to reach them, and what to call it, all of which probably had to get thrown out once you know the pandemic hit and everyone's lives and finances totally changed. And a lot of this came up in the in our conversations about HBO Max, which you know now is kind of in disarray. Casey Boys is now in charge of it. But then the, other, the only other thing you'll see if you like news search for HBO Max is that they're going to introduce a ad supported tier Yeah, to try to get more people just engaged with it as an idea. But the other part of it is every problem from HBO Max, you could say they don't have original content or the Friends reunion was really going to be big for them. But to me, everything comes down to the fact that at some point they were like, we want it to be HBO, but we don't want to upset the people in New York. So it's going to be HBO, but it's going to be HBO something else. But we still want it to be HBO, and by the way, within a month it's going to replace HBO Go. So it's it's kind of a marketing problem. So here, so here's what I'm saying, Chris. Here are the ones that are going to survive. The ones that are going to survive are the ones that are like Kleenex, meaning there is one word, and everybody knows what it is. Mm-hmm. Netflix obviously already won. Like culturally, yes. people know what it means to yes. that is. Watch it, Netflix. It has
0: become their experience of watching television is watching netflix
1: do you watch tv or do you watch netflix Uh, probably the latter is said more often now and everyone understands what it is and that does seem to be the thing that everyone kind of has to have right yeah because of that and because of it's not as long of a head start hulu is fine Mm -hmm. i think hulu is not just ascendant like because they have a lot of good shows right now and they have a good pipeline to original movies like nonfiction, that great french movie from 2018 (laughs) that i would love for you to watch I've seen it. But for I watched same, it years the ago. <laughs> same, I mean, you, our audience, I'm not just talking to you. I know that the trick of our podcast is that it seems like I'm just talking to my buddy, but I'm talking...
0: <laughs> I never know. I never man. know when you're, when you're not doing direct address. Go ahead. It
1: was ustedes. It was the plural you. Gotcha. They're fine. Okay? So they're in the safe category. Apple and Disney are okay, not just because they're enormously wealthy corporations with brand recognition that spans the globe and probably Mars as well. They're okay because while their names for their TV services are stupid, a plus symbol is easily scrubbed and forgotten about. It doesn't feel inherent to the name. So even when we've talked about like the morning show or when you've talked to me about Ted Lasso, you say it's on Apple, mm-hmm. right? You had, you don't say it's on Apple TV Plus. I don't. It is really weird, I think from a branding perspective, to put the price tier structure in the name of the product. You know, like... This is like Steve Jobs would be spinning in his grave if he was aware of this, because Apple TV is actually the physical box that I use to interact with the television shows I watch, including Netflix. But Apple TV Plus is a service I pay for to watch shows or in the case of Ted Lasso, not watch shows on my box. That's nonsense. However, you could just easily say, I'm going to watch it on Apple. I'm going to watch on Disney. They're fine. They're safe. Okay, they're going to make it. Peacock. Yes, I'm, you know, in business with that company, so it's a little bit suspect. But Peacock, kind of okay. I know people make fun of the name. It's a weird gamble, but maybe it was the right one to just say, here's a new service. Now they're behind Hulu, which is also a deeply stupid name. So they they don't have the years of people getting used to it. But I think that though it got a lot of flack, I think it actually was the right choice rather than calling it NBCU... Complete or whatever other French pun I would It's also
0: made. worth mentioning that when you go to Peacock, yeah, it feels a lot more like a hybrid of watching TV live and of uh, a library. So whereas I don't think HBO Max has that. I don't Hulu I know has the live TV option, but I, Peacock actually feels like I, I've gone to it and been like, I will now watch a Premier League match on Peacock, which is is live. And then you can see in the channels, like, here are these yeah. other offerings that they have.
1: I also didn't want to say it, but I didn't want to say Hulu either and now it kind of makes sense. You could say, "Oh, where can I watch that?" "Oh, it's on Peacock." Okay. All right. Right? That is even that is easier than saying, "Why, well, it's on Apple Television Plus." A sure. supplement. So, but this isn't to my, just a matter
0: of syllables, it's a matter of 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 user experience.
1: Right. This is part of the user experience which a lot of these things have stumbled on. Yeah. So, here's where we get into the trouble zone. CBS All Access. Mm. Can you tell me anyone whose problem with CBS Prime was that they did not have enough access.
0: I didn't know there was a
1: CBS Prime. CBS, I mean, just CBS. Oh, I was calling yeah. CBS. See what I mean? Once you start throwing extra words in there, CBS, its a it was free to everyone in America. And now they're saying you can pay more to have more access to our company. Is that and a our brand bar?
0: thing, though? Do they not want to sully CBS with cursing from yes. the good fight?
1: Well, yes, but also they're trying to say, because CBS uh, for many years was sort of you know, the most popular broadcast network, but also felt like the oldest or stodgiest. Now it also is, was the creepiest and touchiest and, you know, had a, has a lot of things to 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 improve upon internally. But I think they were also trying to say, like, we're going to have premium prestige content and they wanted younger people to tune in and watch it. But they also felt like HBO Max, it's their caught. Still like us for the thing that you liked, but PS, we're different. Mm-hmm. It's never going to work, which is also why I think CBS All Access is going to get folded into some larger Paramount. at some point anyway and the name will go away. HBO Max, we've discussed forever. It's It's still an insane name to me. It still makes no sense. And now that HBO Go is gone, when I'm like checking to see and we're going to talk about them in a minute, these promising new shows that are premiering tonight, Third Day, and We Are Who We Are, I have to go to HBO Max to find them, but they are not HBO Max shows. They are HBO shows that are only available to me on HBO Max on the app on my Apple TV minus, not Apple TV plus. Come on, okay? And finally, here's the one that people, people listen to the show because we rip off the Band-Aid, right? We are truth tellers in any planet in the solar system. We aren't talking enough about how stupid Prime Video is as a name. We don't talk about this. Amazon is the most powerful corporation on planet Earth. And they have spent the last three years saying, no, 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 we're just a TV service called Prime Video. Why did they make this decision? The only thing that I can think of is that they were very, very concerned about one special class of consumer who I will refer to as my wife who won't order from Amazon because they treat their workers like shit. Your
0: wife stays watching Jack Ryan.
1: But was willing to watch a few episodes into the second season of Mrs. Maisel. Let me tell you, Mr. Bezos, my wife's out on Maisel. So you can go back and just (laughs) say it's on Amazon. We say it's on Amazon. We have never once said, oh, 000 is an exceptional show, only on Prime Video. What are we doing? What are they doing? How, I mean, are they getting fleeced? Is so this the, a Brad Parscale like data mining operation? But the problem where with your theory is your is yeah. that
0: Amazon is like the most bulletproof of all of these companies.
1: So so they can make this mistake. Yeah. But I'm saying at what point are they going to just give up this ghost and be like, okay, you got us guys. We were Amazon the whole time. <laughs> what, is the, what is the strategy here? Chris, take thought, off your glasses, Jonas Ayer style and fix this for me.
0: I think that this is a great theory and I don't want to poke any holes in it. I will say what I just said, which is that like your your worst performing service is actually probably the most fiscally stable, right?
1: Yeah, I don't think it's sunk, but I do think that the sooner we get to the point where it's like, I'm going to watch this on Amazon. Well,
0: this goes back to what you said. In the the beginning, better is, for their I don't audience. know if anybody actually cares about this is whether or not anyone actually gives any of this stuff that much thought. They give it thought when it comes to what are my monthly bills, how many of these different services am I literally subscribed to, and at a certain point, if I don't have any originals or library things that I need from Peacock, do I need Peacock? Do I need HBO Max? I think people, generally, if you've been an HBO subscriber, if you still believe in the project that they have over there, you'll probably just keep HBO Max, even if you're like, I get that this is a stupid branding situation, but... I'm gonna. I want to keep watching. I want to watch The Wire. I want to watch Sopranos, no, and I want to watch We Are Who We Are, or The Third Day, or Outside. Or that's all yeah, true. Outside.
1: But you're talking about someone. If you if you have HBO and you are an HBO OG fan and supporter, you get HBO Max as part of your subscription. You have access to it, right? The person I'm concerned about is the people who are like, I love this original programming, but I am cutting the cord. I'm not getting cable anymore, or whatever. You want me to get HBO Max? I don't know what that is. And I do think that the world, I mean, a lot of a lot, I'm, I'm being a little facetious about some of this, but I do think the branding is insane. No, across I know. The board, It doesn't know. make any sense. But I do think that a lot of these decisions were made in, a, in the same universe that Apple was existing in, where I think they believed that, and people who have the Apple TV, the black box, not the service, know what I'm talking about, that there's a button on there and there's an app and it's basically like the watch button And what it does is it collates all the things that you've been watching uh, across the various services, streamers, and apps that you have, which is why every time I turn on TV, the giant Apple banner that greets me is the newest episode of Daniel Tiger's Neighborhood, because I'm a stickler for details. And once Margaret joined the family, I feel like the drama improved. But this world where Apple is going to be the great collector, where Apple's Uh, It's going to organize television.
0: That was what they wanted. They always want, that's why they were thinking about making a television in the first place.
1: Exactly. And, but that world where I don't care if this came from the poorly branded Prime video and this came from CBS All Access, just help me find the things that I want to watch. I think that is a relic of a world where people, where the average consumer that they're targeting can afford to maintain subscriptions to four to six of these things a month. And I don't think that world exists anymore. I think you're right. And so that is a, different reality we're blinking into where the individual ux or interfaces or branding begins to matter more
0: that's really well put um thanks man do you want to let's just chat briefly about the shows that are coming on tonight before we get to boys and aya how about that
1: and we got to talk kang because you already brought up kang the conqueror
0: so which one How which order do you want to do that in
1: um <laughs> let's to tee up these shows because I'm eager to check them both out.
0: Yeah, I mean, so these are both new HBO shows. I've gotten a chance to check out a couple of episodes of We Are Who We Are, and I watched the first episode of Third Day. Third Day is a show from Dennis Kelly, who used to work on pulling uh, the Sharon Horgan show a while ago, and did Utopia, which is now the American version of Utopia, is coming out on Amazon very very shortly. And I, I, what I've seen of that, I, I really liked. Um, so this is a show starring uh, Jude Law, Naomi Harris, Catherine Waterston, Patty Considine, and Emily Watson. And just watching the first episode, which airs tonight, big, big Wicker Man energy. Big, 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 like, you know, Jude Law basically plays a guy who happens to find himself on an island off the coast of England that has some very mysterious qualities, some very odd rituals, and some very strange characters and he gets sucked into a little bit of uh, a mystery on that island and just the way that they handle it i have seen some reviews that are like well the there isn't a payoff to this or somehow like basically being like it's all it's all sizzle and no steak i'm okay with it because it's very propulsive to me like the pacing of it is such that it's atmospheric but it moves quickly enough that you're not like you guys are just teasing me with this like mystery you will never solve. Like that's that's sort of my problem with Westworld is like it's sort of the agonizing, painstaking way we get to a thing that you're just like, are you serious? This is it. I so far with third day, I've really enjoyed the world, the performances, the writing. It's a very odd show. Uh, like the the it does does not seem to be taking place in our reality. It feels a little stagey at times, but I, I really like it. Uh, we are who we are is. Uh, The new show from Luca Guadagnino and it stars Jack Dylan Grazer and Chloe Sevigny and uh, Scott Muscuddy, Kid Cuddy to some. And uh, it's set in 2016 at an Italian, uh, an American uh, military base in Italy and is, will be familiar somewhat to people who have seen other other things from Luca, which is a lot of it is um, personal discovery, identity, finding who you really are, finding out more about yourself and the first episode i think is challenging i think people will find it challenging but i think if you stick with it it's an interesting hybrid i saw a couple of people i think Allison herman talked about this a bit in her piece about how the show really does feel like a very long movie rather than a series i think once you get into multiple episodes you see a little bit more episodic television but for the most part it feels like it's going to be a six-hour film, um, sp- spread out over several weeks. If you like the vibe of of his stuff, I think you'll enjoy this. Um, but yeah, it, it it'll be. Inter- I'm very curious to see how people react to We Are Who We Are.
1: It's very interesting too to me. I mean, now that I'm just a, a civilian and I don't get the screeners like you do, I thought when I heard the imprimatur of both these shows, I was like, well, these are is a new stacked Sunday night. Yeah. And then both are Monday night shows. Yeah. Part of HBO's plan to just boost its programming to compete with other other channels. And I, I may destroy you, I bo- was on Mondays, right? For this. Yes, It was on Mondays. A few weeks. So obviously not a not a bad place to be, not a bad history there, especially recently. Um
0: I think it was outsider or Mondays or Sundays. Outsider was Sundays.
1: Or yeah, I, I get confused. I mean the fact that we aren't really sure is proof why it doesn't really matter. But yeah. um it is it is a it is a testament to what hbo can do where you know a, a lot of networks are putting out shows amc has been doing a bunch of them you know where they find interesting international programs and they partner they throw in a little money and then they get to broadcast a little bit later and a lot of good stuff comes to our shores that way now
0: that's what day is yeah
1: right hbo still has the good shit you know what i mean like hbo still has these the primo zero, zero, zero international connections. Yeah. And so they're just stunting on Monday night with this stuff. I mean, like the, the cast of the third day, Oscar-nominated filmmaker Luca Guadagino making a TV show. It's like, yeah, this is just a Monday in September for them. Yeah. It's it's cool. I'm excited for both those shows. Finally, we got to do Kang Corner. Let's do Can Corner. Which, which does connect to Sunday nights in HBO because it was announced today that Jonathan Majors, who is the star, one of the stars of Lovecraft Country, a show that I think we've both gotten a little bit away from, Uh, or did the show get away from us, Uh, was announced that he is joining the MCU as one of its most iconic villains, Kang the Conqueror, a time-displaced villain who usually tussles with Iron Man and has generally produces some of the more like head-expanding, interesting, trippy comics, Mm -hmm. is joining the MCU, and Jonathan Majors will be playing him. And that his first appearance will be in the I-didn't-even-know-it-was-announced Ant-Man 3. Right. So a couple reactions to this before I give you the floor. One, it is an incredible casual double flex by Marvel to be like this, this hot young actor, hot in all senses, is joining our universe. And by the way, we're and he's playing an iconic character, and you were dropping him into the third Ant-Man movie. I mean, that's pretty wild. And then people are like, oh, cool, great. A third Ant-Man movie with a major, you know, possible, possibly universe redefining villain is going to appear in it. That is big pre-pandemic energy from Feige. You know what I mean? And I respect it, and I kind of missed it a little bit.
0: ant um, good. Boot, it's good boot camp.
1: Because isn't that
0: uh, where they, they introduced, not the multi, first, was it? Yeah.
1: That is where they've introduced some of their weirder concepts that then filter in into Doctor Strange and then presumably into this next post-endgame vision for whatever it's going to be. Ant-Man also, and I mean no disrespect to Peyton Reed, who seems like he used to direct Super Chunk videos Then he directed Bring It On and now he's just caking up with this Ant-Man franchise. He seems like an awesome guy. No disrespect to Paul Rudd, Evangeline, well a little disrespect to Evangeline Lilly due to her uh, weird public statements at the start of the pandemic. But regardless, I mean, Ant-Man, I feel like they could just make, they, I don't feel like they needed to power down that franchise. That feels like the most Disney plus of their movie series. You know what I mean? It's just like, we're just going to hang out in front of a green screen. Like Michael Douglas is going to zoom his part in from Calabasas. It just feels pretty low stakes and low budge. And I respect them all for the hustle.
0: If if there was an Ant-Man every 18 months that was just like a heist, I'd, pro- I'd, I'd probably enjoy it. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like I, 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 and I appreciate the fact that they're using Ant-Man as like this connective tissue for the MCU. But for the most part, like when I remember when I saw I've f- completely forgotten what happened in Ant-Man 2, but I'm like, that was that was a really solid two hours at the movies. Everyone, many people are saying, Andy.
1: You love when I you love that construction.
0: Many people are saying that this is a bridge to the Fantastic Four. That Kang oh. Kang gets us to the to the Fantastic Four, which is now under the sort of MCU jurisdiction. Is that true? Have I used jurisdiction a lot today in this podcast? Mm, Twice, which is more than usual.
1: Well, yeah, but since you took over the jurisdiction of Mars, (laughs) I think it's been in your head. Um, I think that's a smart idea, and I think that would be cool. I mean, I I am pro Marvel's... uh, Pro Disney Marvel Feige's version of a Fantastic Four, which I think is a one of the, like the few. It's a, it's a purely good comic book idea that's never been done right. Yeah, in anything other than occasional bursts of the comic book, I think that's interesting. Like tea leaf examining what I, what I'm mostly interested in is is to bring it all the way back to how we started, which is Jonathan Majors. If you saw this kid in, um. The Five Bloods, which is a movie we didn't really talk about. Like, I didn't even check out until the passing of Chadwick Boseman and then was just kind of knocked on my ass by the movie. I mean, it's a wild movie in all the good, spikely ways. You'd watch that movie and you're like, this kid is a star. I mean, as soon as he goes on the screen, he lights it up. And he has a natural energy and charisma that kind of is muted His
0: vibe is very unique. His vibe is like, it has like a, to me at least, when I watch him, I immediately think there's something I don't know about this person. That's yeah. like a very valuable character trait. Usually you find that in, I think, character actors. Like there's yes. like a kind of presence that they bring where you're like, here's the shorthand. You see Paul Giamatti or you see John Hawkes or you see this person and you're like, I get it. I know what's happening here. When you watch Jonathan Majors, it's like he has all the makings of a marquee, top of the line movie star. And then, like, some vibe and and some pain that he's not talking about, and some he brings like a different energy to the to the part that I think is pretty special.
1: Yeah, and I think that's might be one of the things that I I struggle with with Lovecraft is because he he's I'm not sure if even he's figured it out or if the show's figured out how is he as as a leading man is is Tick like just like John Carter who goes to your home planet of Mars like is he just a hero? Is that his, what defines him because of his his strength and his 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 decency, or is he as 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 you were saying like someone who contains something a little bit off and odd it, it, that could go in any direction, which yeah. I, which is is more fun to watch as in terms of performances and definitely lends itself more to you know scheming time lord than I don't know other parts he might play. So I'm I'm all in on Kang in Ant Man Three, Chris. In case people were wondering, I feel like we should <laughs> we should stop beating around the bush in this podcast. I have said that Amazon Greenwald, is going to he, fail, he, yeah, and that Kang is the future.
0: If you were just doing the in or out version of this podcast, Greenwald in on Kang the Conqueror, out on Bezos. Uh, let's talk a little bit about a, a product of of Bezos, itch, which is the boys. We're gonna get to our interview with Aya Cash, who plays Stormfront in this second season. We don't really even need to set it up that much. I don't have a ton to say about episode four that we didn't probably cover in our conversation about the first three episodes last week. And maybe we can even chat about uh, four more on Thursday. Show's still dope. It's show's getting creepier now and a little more disturbing. Ayakash Cash is largely responsible for that. So shout out yeah. to her. And I thought it was a really interesting chat because I think she brought, she talked a little bit to us about the different kind of perspective that she brought to... This show, because this wasn't necessarily a show that she would be like time to watch the boys in her in her civilian life.
1: I agree. I I think in terms of the specifics of that undercurrent electricity pun intended um, of menace and just it's very disturbing to see what her character is doing, the Elan with which she plays it and where it seems to be going, especially in September of 2020. I'm turning to a broken record, so I will try not to say this about future episodes of the boys this season, but man, like this was I, I, yeah, it had a lot of like current t v things like it was an hour and nine minutes, and you know there's 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 violence and lots of swear words and stuff, but just the convention of we're gonna take three of the show's most appealing characters and we're gonna put them on a road trip so we have to so they'll learn more about each other, and we're gonna take. The one, you know, we're gonna take Butcher, who's usually leading in an action storyline, and put him in more of a romantic storyline. All of those, Homelander is not gonna be breaking necks until at least the very end, and we're gonna learn more about his psychosexual stuff. That is just like writer's room 4D chess mm-hmm. that I really appreciated and respected. It is not reinventing the wheel. It's just like buying the best rims you can, and it works. You know, like yeah. you, if if you dig in too deep, and you're like, wait, so Starlight is microchipped. And Homelander was just threatening to kill her, but she's going to go on a road trip and is constantly, it's constantly texting with one of the most wanted criminals in the country, and we're going to put him on a road trip to North Carolina. If you think too much about that, you might say that, that beggars belief, but it's worth it for the show.
0: There also, you, you shout out the writer's room. I just want to shout out the visual language of the show really briefly, which is encapsulated in, my appreciation for it is encapsulated in that moment when they're at the road rest stop on their road trip, it's Starlight, Mother's Milk, and mm-hmm. uh Huey, and they're having like a conversation about using wet wipes versus using napkins outside of this donut spot. And there's a huge car accident. And essentially, what this series does is maximize a frame where action set pieces begin in the background, like you, mm-hmm. you know you'll you'll be having a conversation and then a. you're know, you used to it in action movies where you're like, oh, and then bullets started flying. But in this, it's like the danger is apparent to you before it's apparent to the characters, and then it just explodes into the scene. But what it does is once you've seen it two or three times, and once the impossible and the unimaginable starts becoming possible and imaginable in a show, I think it makes you more keenly aware of everything you're watching because you're like, I'm really locked into this scene because I don't know if a truck is going to slam into a station Mm -hmm. wagon behind this person talking. And yeah, like you might get distracted waiting for that next hit of adrenaline. But I think you really do actually like you never take plays off on this show, even though it is like you're saying very conventional. It's ABC plots. It's people getting split up from relatively unnecessary reasons. I really enjoy the fact that I feel stimulated the entire hour and nine minutes, which is not easy. It really only happens with Yellowstone.
1: <laughs> wow. Way to, way to square the circle. Um Let's get into our conversation with one of our favorite people, one of our favorite performers, Aya Cash, who is just doing something pretty sly, pretty unsettling, pretty cool on the show. And I don't know, I just think as people who are fans of her and fans of her work, it's fun when she gets to play with these big boys. Yeah, it, so... It, 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 It disturbs it all in a really, really good way. And we had a great time talking with her.
0: So let's uh, take a quick break. We're going to come back with Ayah Cash from the boys, and then we'll be back with you guys on Thursday. So stay safe out there. Today's episode of The Watch is brought to you by Heineken. Heineken would like to remind you that it is time for seasonal beers again. That's right. If you thought a cold, crisp summer Heineken was something, just wait till you taste the Heineken fall lineup now is it a new product no just the same great tasting lager that's perfect for any season we're in a bit of a transitional period here in california where i'm at but it's getting a little cooler today accepted but it's getting a little cooler uh obviously some tough times out here but fall is here autumn's here And I'm still grilling. Your boy is still trying to crack the chicken breast, crack the baked potato recipes. And when I'm doing it, I'm out there with a Heineken. Keep me chill. Keep me focused. Keep me relaxed about the process. Heineken Original Lager is made with pure malt and their famous A-yeast, which makes Heineken an all-season, all-the-time kind of beer. So pick up a pack or get it delivered, whatever your style, and drink responsibly. Today's episode of The Watch is supported by the FX original series Fargo. Family is complicated and crime is organized. With a brand new cast featuring Chris Rock and Jason Schwartzman, FX's Emmy and Golden Globe winning series from creator Noah Hawley returns with an all new installment that explores the complexities, of immigration, assimilation, power, and what it means to pursue the American dream. Set in 1950s Kansas City, the new installment of Fargo tells the original tale of two criminal syndicates that control an alternate economy of exploitation, corruption, and drugs, striking an unusual peace. To cement their truce, the heads of the Black crime family and Italian mafia agree to a unique gesture of good faith, the trading of their youngest sons. But will the agreement last as the tension between the two warring families escalates? Fargo premieres with back to back episodes September 27th at 9 p.m. on FX and streams the next day on FX on Hulu.
1: We are so happy to be joined by longtime friend of the pod, one of our favorite people, live from quarantine, star of season two of The Boys, Aya Cash. Aya, welcome back on the show.
3: Thank you. You don't have uh, sound effects? Thank no, you. We, can
0: add,
1: we can add that. Yeah. We can add that.
0: Great. We can add like a, like a superhero whoosh as you fly mm-hmm. into the, to the scene. Yeah.
3: Perfect. Rock is a clause. A clause? Great. This is going <laughs> well, all right?
1: Should we start over? Actually, my favorite sound on the boys is the sound when flying superheroes land. I think that that's an excellent, excellent um, piece of foley or whatever it is.
3: Yeah, no, it's really good. It, also when you think about the fact that we're just like hopping up and down on the day, <laughs> how ridiculous it is. And then the magic of the VFX guys who make it look all badass. Because on the day we're like, they're like, jump. And you just sort of jumped.
1: Did, did the first time you do it did it, did you overcompensate? Did you think they would need a lot more of you getting air? And so you leapt high into the air before they were like, We you're you're fine.
3: Probably. I mean, there was a lot of moments that I thought I was doing extra and then realized it was all going to be done for me, including work Like I, I did two months of like training five days a week and then doing Muay Thai. And then I got there and it was like you're in full head to toe covered with silicone everywhere and um you you i started eating ice cream every day I was like <laughs> oh no ways
1: did, did did they ask you to do all that training or that's just what you were doing for that summer and then they called you and offered you this job
3: We did my when I got the job, they did like um, they flew me out to L.A. to do like a circular thing of my body so that they could build my body and then build the suit. And Mm -hmm. then I immediately got a phone call saying, we're putting you in training. And I was like, I'm not going to I'm going to try not to take this as like a direct correlation, but (laughs) maybe.
1: To be fair, they do that for everyone when they move to L.A. Like that's the first thing when you arrive.
3: I did remember thinking the first time I got a a TV show, I remember being like, I can't wait to see what my L.A. makeover looks like. All (laughs) the New York girls would go to L.A. and like come back and look like tan and thin and fabulous. And I was like, oh, I can't wait to see my version. And then I was like, oh, you you have to stuff for that and I just never did. So I guess this was my version of the LA makeover. For like two months I had I I, I have a private Instagram. Probably shouldn't admit that. But um and I actually posted an ad pick. Like oh, that's wow. how I was like, I am rocked.
0: So and wait then- when you got yoked up though, did you yeah. feel like you were like it all finding the character? Like did did, did actually going through that process make you feel like more Ready Racist. to take on such like a physical <laughs> role. and and also just like yeah like about white purity and all that stuff yeah
3: <laughs> I mean there actually are there's real correlations uh, between um, body shaming and racism so you actually could make that point but, but no I did not um, I I didn't um, I didn't really uh, feel like that was getting into character I, it was more like part of the job of any superhero is to like, look like you have strength and know what you're doing. But I also feel like the point is that they're superpowers. So you actually don't need to build all the muscles. Like, yeah. I think it works either. I'm lazy. So I was looking for an excuse not to, but it was a fun, it was a fun couple months. I wouldn't say it was like, I thought about it as character building though. Maybe that just makes me a bad actress.
1: <laughs> Well, before we get into that, and we will okay. figure that out before the end of this call, um, I do want to run it back to when you first were offered the part. I'm curious how the part was presented to you, because I, I'm not super familiar with the comic. I believe that Stormfront is a, is a gentleman in the comic. Not gentle. Let me take that back. He's a dude. Mm-hmm. And... I wonder which part they led with. Did they lead with you are a incredibly powerful superhero who will disrupt the status quo on this established TV show? Or did they say that, by the way, low-key, soon-to-be-high-key racist fascist?
3: Yeah, there was definitely like warnings on my audition email from my agent and being like, this is a complicated character and you (laughs) want to make sure you're willing to. But the actual sides were not... Uh, gave some sort of indication maybe in the second side that that is not a scene that ended up in the tv show that sort of um hinted at something but nothing overt but i didn't know that she was going to be a horrible evil villain racist and that her history in the comics was that it was a nazi and um so I automatically going in thought there's no way in hell I'm getting this job anyway. So, you know, let's go have some fun. Um, But I showed up and I, and I did request to talk with Eric Kripke about the role before I auditioned because I was just like, you know, this is, I think, a really interesting idea considering what's going on in our country and in our world. And, but you never know how something's going to be handled and having no, nothing on the page, it's a really scary thing to say, yeah, I'll do that, knowing that the intention is this, but not knowing the people who are creating that. So uh, I wanted to make sure that he was thinking very thoughtfully about that, that he had really interesting ideas about that, that it wasn't a glorification of this person or like, a you know, because even Homelander, who's such a horrible, horrible human, you kind of are like, but he's great. because
0: <laughs> like the, icon- the iconography at work. Yeah. Like you're just like sort of taken away with the, the, the cape and the flying and everything.
3: Yeah. And you, I, I that's a, a worry. So I definitely, um, I definitely wanted to make sure that everybody was being super thoughtful about it. The boys also hadn't come out at this point. So that's right. I would oh. cast like three months before they even announced that there was going to be a season two and wait six months before the show came out. So it it felt like a big risk that I wanted to make sure that the people that I was going to be working with had a handle. <laughs> and,
1: and what did he say? How did he express his vision for the role? And, and what the show, I mean, it was so early what he thought the show would be doing at that point.
3: I mean, he, he sort of laid out what he was seeing in the world and how they crafted the character in terms of who they were looking at and these sort of social media stars and this new wave of uh, really nasty hateful rhetoric couched in this like no man free speech fuck the you know the man uh this sort of uh almost punk anti uh corporation language and uh that it was really much more interesting to look at a character from that perspective rather than a mustache twirling you know, evil bad guy who wears a swastika and sort of it's all out front. But that was the, the update that he was looking for. And, you know, uh, watching, I'm not going to say who exactly, but there were definitely um, women, uh, young women that I watched when thinking about this character. And I actually, I thought at first Stormfront until they sort of showed me the styling of her. I thought she was going to be, like, in a, like, blonde, long wig, like, holding a gun, you know, that that sort of yeah. social media star, and she ends up being something slightly different.
1: Or maybe running a press conference at the White House, for example. <laughs> just throwing, you know... <laughs> We're not naming names, but it's just, like...
0: But, then, I mean, it's interesting because when, she, when Stormfront first appears in this season it's it's unclear it's like what's a bit and what's not a bit like because she's because there's like what she's doing when she's streaming live there's how she is when she's in kind of like the board meeting for the seven and then there are the few times where she talks to like starlight or she's talking to homelander where it seems like she drops the facade a little bit and it's only when we get to like the the rooftop scene uh where we are kind of like, it's revealed like what she really is. Was it, what was it like playing a character with that many like sort of layers and, and and is kind of operating with three or four different personas?
3: I mean, I think that's what's really exciting. Look, there's always like a public facing versus private facing in all of our lives, whether you're a public figure or not. And I like um, I like shows that, that acknowledge that. I mean, I, I think you can be many different people to too many different people, meaning like who you show to your, your husband may be uh, different than who you show to your friend versus who you show to your parents. Um, so I, I think that just makes an interesting character to have those sort of layers. Now, the Stormfront has the added layer of being like a disgusting, bigoted piece of shit uh, who's also spouting like this uh, sort of common sense, you know, strong woman feminism. Um, And I think what, uh, if I'm going to be totally honest, while I was playing her, I was like, oh, this is so great because this is something that allows us to sort of misdirect and people get on her side and then you see her underbelly and and it's more of a manipulation. I think just in terms of learning that I've done, even in the last few months I look at it slightly differently and just sort of the intersection of uh feminism and white supremacy and and white feminism sort of doing violence to uh black and brown bodies <laughs> so I I feel like that's a. I, I feel like that's an interesting take on it that I wasn't even thinking about honestly mm-hmm. before this moment I was more thinking you know that yeah, people can be, Some I'm stealing this from, from an interviewer, somebody who interviewed me who said, um, even a broken clock is right twice a day. And that's sort of how I was thinking of her. It's like, if you acknowledge the the good things that people do, you are allowed to critique harsher the bad things that people do. It's like when when 45 says something or does something that actually might be good and no one acknowledges it in the mainstream media, then that allows the door open for people to say like, well, see, it's just all spin. Whereas if you say this was something good and this was something bad, there is more trust, I think, in viewership when you're able to acknowledge the good. So there are moments of her being quote unquote good. uh, Right now, are (laughs) you, are
1: you, you are you, are you red pilling us right now? Yeah. Is this how it starts? <laughs> Wait a second. Let's go.
0: Out. Like everybody, just like take a turn. What's one thing you think he's done really well?
1: <laughs> Personally, I, like
0: he's bringing back indoor gatherings. You know, and like I, I don't know about you guys, but I miss him. You
3: know, <laughs> I just mean you know even with um God now I'm gonna get myself in trouble. <laughs> I, the, the red pill stuff goes down such a fucking crazy, like even that is the language that turns into yes. such crazy that I can't do that. But, um, but you know, there, there are uh, criminal justice things that he has attempted. Yes. There, there are moments. Sure. Well, that's all I'm saying.
1: But it also speaks to the larger point is that, that you, you actually can't reach people by yelling at them. Um, Right. That like there has to be, as you said, the door open a little bit, but I, since we've already derailed ourselves into current politics, I, I do want to refra- yeah. reframe the conversation a little bit about the show in light of current politics. Because I think that one of the things that I find really interesting and kind of combustible about The Boys is that it is trying to do something very tricky always, all the time, which is to have something nuanced, something interesting to say about the dangers of celebrity, about the dangers of capitalism. Um, certainly everything that Eric was explaining to you and that has now you know been put into the show in the character of Stormfront, while also being a seat-of-your-pants, hyper-violent, good time. That's tricky for anybody. Um, and I, I guess I wonder, in terms of your experience with the show, how was that line walked um, in production? And then how does it also feel now? Because like all the memification stuff that we saw in episode um, 204 is really good. It's really clever. It's really entertaining. It also is... A little horrifying, um, <laughs> maybe more so in September 2020 than it may have been when you shot it at the, I, I believe you were shooting this last year.
3: Yeah. Yeah, I, I mean, look, as an actor, I'd say mostly, I, I've said this before that, you know, in my mind, the the writer is God and you just sort of pray to God when, when you're doing Things and if you can't figure something out, you're going okay. So tell me what we're thinking here. How do I figure it out? How do I make this work? There are moments where you have input to what's going to happen in the script. There's a, there's one line in the series that I was like, I think we need this line, and it comes later. I think I think in the finale episode because I I was just like, are we are we sure we're getting the point <laughs> but right but just for my own feeling of like in that character like mm. is she being very clear about this um uh but mostly you just you do what's written um so you have to trust people i mean unfortunately like i had to say this is i i believe in Eric and the writer's room. And I trust that they're going to walk that tightrope. And mm-hmm. I'd been able to see some of season one and I thought that they did that pretty well. Um, you know, I'm not necessarily the target audience for a show like the boys. I don't know if I would have, um, would have been someone to seek it out had I not been going to be on it, but you know, I ended up really loving it. And I, and and I think what makes it work is their willingness to go after everything. Like there is no, you'll see even ending season two, they sort of set up who the villain of season three may be. And it's like, really? I mean, there there's so many, I, I, that, that's what I think makes, makes the line work for me. Mm-hmm. Um but yeah, it's terrifying to be doing, I mean, when you're doing the actual scenes where I am saying horrible things to real people in front of me, it's awful. And it there, of course there are moments where I'm going, this necessary. Like, is that, this feels like very, very clear and and pretty horrifying and is like that the right move. But I, you know, I put, I put my trust in Eric and the writers and I, and I Think they've walked a good line. Now that doesn't mean that everyone's going to feel that way and that there are, uh, are not going to be m- moments of failure. I don't think that art exists without failure either. Mm-hmm. So, you know, I-, I don't think that anything I've ever done has ever been perfect or gotten it right all the time. Um, I think it's, it's a percentage. <laughs> so I-, I feel like season two, has walked that line, even if they've sort of slipped off mm-hmm. a few times. Sure, you
0: know. Do you feel like Andy and I often talk about <clears throat> how prevalent, you know, stories like the boys, not specifically, but like you know, whether it's like a superhero fantasy or a comic book adaptation is, especially in TV and movies. And you were saying like that's not necessarily your bag. You know, like you would, wouldn't necessarily you know watch that if you weren't in it. But what do you think you brought because of that? to the performance and even just to the set that you think if you had been like, I'm out there just grinding tape of every, every cape crusader I can find and reading back issues. If you were like really like a deep super fan of that stuff versus like, as what kind of outsider perspective do you think you brought?
3: Um, I guess I didn't, uh, I don't carry with me the kind of pressure that someone like that has, you know, uh, I think especially when you're like a super fan of something. Like if I was asked to be on Friday night lights, like you would not have gotten me out of my trailer. I would have been like sobbing. Like I viscerally sobbed the, when I met Kyle Chandler. <laughs> like I, I burst into tears and everyone was like, are you okay? And I was like, yeah, I don't know what's happened. Like there's, I'm not even sad. It's just like, it's a reaction. And that's so much pressure.
1: <laughs> what What part would you, I was just going to ask on that. Friday night lights. I mean, we can't oh. let that go.
3: Oh man. I mean, I always say like I wanted to be adopted by Tammy and coach, but like maybe also like touched in an inappropriate way. I don't know. Can I be a struggle? <laughs> like, Oh, it'd be so bad. I mean, I would ruin Fred. Clearly, I would ruin Fred. I thought you were like, just
0: gonna be like, I would like to be like Buddy Garrity's like competition across town in a different dealership or something.
1: Like you know, no, like- but you just you want to be cared for by the tailors, and what that means, we can't define.
3: I'm right? just saying, like you know, as long as I'm of age, it's not wrong.
1: <laughs> and that show skirted that line too a little bit. At times, well, so
3: you don't need to talk about season two. Let's be honest, but season <laughs> one, three, Resma. Um,
1: one of the things that I think gets the boys uh, the goodwill to pull off high risk stuff like it does is a remarkable uh, consistency. Isn't the word I'm looking for? But it does seem like everyone, certainly on screen, has bought into the the same tone, and it which is re- incredible, I think. And one of the ways that manifests, and feel free to just shatter my illusions if, if, if they are, in fact, illusions, um, but it does seem like people are having a good time. And I, I don't, and, I, and I, we've talked about this separately on the podcast. I don't want to over-inflate that as an important metric of enjoying something. I don't mean that like it's like an Apatow movie where everyone's just doing goof around takes, mm-hmm. but all the performers, and it's a really big, pretty impressive ensemble cast all seem to be vibrating on the same frequency and enjoying the scene work, whether they're, you know, breaking people's necks or just singing Billy Joel songs. And I I guess, so it's a two-part question. One, feel free to shatter my dreams. (laughs) Two, what is it like joining a well-oiled machine like that? It's a big ensemble that had just finished a a successful first season.
3: Yeah, I mean everyone gets along, which is kind of shocking considering it is such a big cast. Um, you know, you're like, I mean, the dynamics of you're, you're essentially, it's like moving in with a bunch of people and, and some people you love, but you don't want to live with. Um, so, you know, when you, when you're on a show and you're living with people, you're like, it can, it can be hard and everyone, pretty much gets along really well. You also don't see people for a long time. I mean, I met Carl Urban two months into shooting. Yeah. In the makeup trailer. I was like, Hey, he was covered in blood with his shirt off. I was like, so nice to meet you.
1: (laughs) (laughs) I I recognize you from your work. It's. uh, Mm -hmm.
3: Um, So they're, they're sort of like little pods, if you will use today's terminology. Hmm. Um, There are these sort of little pods of, of cast that you end up spending a lot of time with. Um, and I think there's a certain, on a show like this, which is so different than anything else I've done, I guess at any time, the, the cool thing about film and TV is the magic of how different it is seeing it versus being in it. Like all the chaos of being on set and then sitting back and seeing it on a screen and being like, oh my God, you don't see any of that. That's a magic moment the boys, because it's such a superhero show and there's so many big elements and VFX and all this stuff, like everybody sort of buys into the fact that we're making a little magic. Like we all know we're like doing the tricks and you're so excited to see them come to life. So there's a lot of fun in that and play in that coming onto a show, any show second season is intimidating. Um, especially one that you know, it came out while we were shooting season two and all of a sudden like, you know, Ubers were showing up at Aaron's door after the day after they dropped her off to ask for autographs. I mean, it was a crazy experience, I think, for them Mm -hmm. to sort of be shot out of a cannon like that. Um, Luckily, I had sort of been there a while while that happened. So um, when they all became egotistical monsters, I was like, (laughs) I knew you before. (laughs) Um, But they yeah, but, yeah,
1: but but now Erin's posting love letters to you on Instagram. I mean it's a very sweet thing. I
3: love her. They're everybody's actually incredibly warm and welcoming and playful and kind. And you know, I, I worked sort of mostly with the superheroes. I got to do a couple of days with the boys, which was really fun. It's a totally different vibe too. Like the I feel like it's oh God, they're going to kill me. Whatever. I'm not around much longer, right? <laughs> Who knows? <laughs> um, uh, but the the boys, I would, the boys, it's kind of like the show almost. Like the boys seem like the sort of like, they're playing like backgammon and like cards and music set up and talking about, you know, philosophy and art and the soups are like making dick jokes. And like, it's <laughs> like Yeah. <laughs> Um, so but it, it's a really fun show and they they were all really welcoming. I mean I I checked in before I don't work with jerks anymore. So when I got the show and I we were still negotiating whether or not I was gonna do the show, my friend Matt Shackman, who directed some of the You're the Worst episodes, yeah. had just directed the boys and I was like, tell me, like, tell me what's what. And he was like, It's very long hours. So it can be grueling, but everyone's really cool and the crew is great and the cast is great and everybody's great. And I was like, okay, I trust Matt Chapman.
0: Do you have to, you know, ever since you're the worst, you've done things like, I mean, you were, you were really incredible on Fosse Verdon, by the way. And I was yes, like thinking about, of that. I was thinking, but is it, is it fun to be able to like try stuff on and move on without giving away anything that's happening obviously in season two of The Boys but if people watch superhero movies they, they know usually what happens to villains or whatever but like I, I was curious after spending so much time in the body of one character if it's like fun to kind of like have a little bit more variety these days and have them be a little bit more like limited
3: yeah it's uh, I was very consciously not trying to sign on for another series regular job where I had like a six-year contract. Yeah. Um, after you're the worst, I sort of needed to mourn that show and take a break, as bleh as that is. I really <laughs> was. It was like life changing, and I loved it so so. I mean, I I <laughs> I can't even tell you. There's been days where like I've literally just like watched my castmates interviews or clips and cried in bed of you're the worst (laughs) maybe last week Um, (laughs) I missed the show so much so I needed a second honestly doing the boys made me want to do another show though like because coming into season two and even though like they could not have been more welcoming and more made me feel like I was a A part of the show. It just didn't feel like it was mine. And all of a sudden I was like, oh, I want that again. I want to have a show where I am in it with the group of people who is making it for a long time again. So I actually, I signed on to do something that if it gets picked up, it'll go, it'll go like six, it'll go six seasons. Look at me. (laughs) Is it, uh,
1: is it me and Tammy
0: and Eric make three? (laughs)
3: um i wish
1: (laughs) this seems like a a, it seems like a strange question to ask at a moment when obviously very few things are getting made although obviously some things are going back into production but i i I do just want to circle back to that comment you made about sort of checking with matt shackman and kind of having a personal no assholes policy for those of us who are outside of the business for me who jumped in and whatever like that seems like a pretty natural way to want to work It also seems like it was pretty much not the way the business worked at times. uh, And that was fine. From your vantage point, um, as Chris said, having jumped into a couple different projects, um, but also having been a professional actress for a while now, is that barometer, do you feel like it's changing on a cultural level that that should be the expected default setting that this job's hard enough, we don't need to be abusive monsters? Or am I high in the sky from my smoke-choked quarantine hellhole?
3: I mean, it's so hard for me to say because it's changed. Look, I, I'm rich, so I can not work if I don't. You know, I mean, I, I get that luxury, which I didn't have before. I mean, I couldn't have been like, you know what? Uh, not true. I could have been, but it was right. much harder for me to say... I'm not going to work with that asshole. I'd rather go back to chat and chew and wait my tables, you know, because that's just like, it's just a harder decision to make then. So now I get to say that. So it's hard to know if the business has changed or if I've changed. I do think that there's more conversation around it, but there's also still plenty of dickheads out there. I mean, like that's real. And also what my version of an asshole is, is not necessarily what somebody else's version of an Mm. asshole is. Like, you know, my standard might be different than someone else's, and I might have a bad experience with someone that is not someone else's experience. So there's no, like, uh, you can't really protect yourself from it completely, but you can talk to people you trust and try to say that. But I I do think that there's more conversation around it. There's certain kinds of assholes that are now not allowed to exist, like the kind of asshole who's like, if you fuck me, I'll give you the job, right? Right. Hopefully that has been cleared up. (laughs) But there are there's many other kinds of assholes that still exist in this business.
1: So two last things before we let you go. One, um, let's put some respect on Chat and Chew's name. That place is pretty good. Um, I my husband there. Did you really? Yeah, I Wasn't was
3: waitress.
1: It's like mac and cheese, right? Wasn't that like? didn't they have mm-hmm. a famous mac and cheese among other yeah, dishes. Mac and
3: cheese Thanksgiving on a roll. Oh man, the kitchen sink salad.
1: This is very that, early two no. thousands Chris Core. This restaurant. I feel like this was your vibe. So this is
0: like a, like a more bespoke version of Boston Market? or
1: yeah, it, was, it was off Union Square, right?
3: Mm-hmm. Off Union Square. The coffee shop girls used to oh, come. Oh, I went to, to chat and yeah, chew. Yeah, totally. You, yes. Probably waited on you. Yeah.
1: <laughs> if, if, if you would just come in a few days later, you could have been married. I mean, it <laughs> just right. seems like it's, it's a...
3: We really should shout out Cowgirl, though, in the West Village, which was my last God. waiting job. We're also good comfort food. And they were great. Chan Chu, I could say some things. (laughs) Cowgirl, I love them. Let's support them. (laughs) Yeah, support
1: our our restaurants. Let's not cancel any on this pop culture-centered podcast.
3: I'm just saying that Cowgirl supported my artistic ambitions.
1: (laughs) I I guess the the last thing I wanted to ask, just in terms of um, your own career and what you enjoy doing, what, what was fun about these first four episodes that we've watched so far, The Boys, is that in the first two, we're like, they're letting aya cook like this is you, you're you know they're they they clearly are fans of you and you're the worst they're fans of your performing style and so there are a couple lines or a couple line readings particularly in like the junket stuff with starlight that is just really fun and then and as you were saying earlier they were allowed to do that because there's a turn and is that f- what is i guess the question is like being hired to do something that you are really good at and then getting to kind of tweak it. Was that part of the appeal of the part? Do you enjoy flexing muscles that you don't need, um, you know, styrofoam suits to enhance?
3: Yeah. I mean, I think everybody, you know, every actor thinks that they can do everything and wants to do everything. Now, you know, more realistically, it's probably not true, but it's fun to look. I know that, especially after you're the worst, there are certain things that I'm, I can get jobs from that people understand that's in my wheelhouse. But I like the idea that as the season goes on, you start to go, what? <laughs> <laughs> but, n- nope. Nope. Uh-oh. That <laughs> there's a there's a twist to that. I also think that Stormfront is actually much more confident than Gretchen. Mm-hmm. You know, there's some some flavor similarities, but there's also like, I always think of Stormfront actually has like a little more bubble, you know, than than Gretchen.
0: A little get up and go. Yeah.
3: Yeah, But actually like a little more sort of play. Whereas Gretchen like really comes from a, uh, in some ways a darker mental place. (laughs) Yeah. I know a little Um, less
0: conviction of belief there for Gretchen. I
1: bet. I guess. Yeah. um, She's more comfortable in the gray area.
3: But I do, you know, I also, of course, I hear that. And as a neurotic actor, I'm like, oh, God, do I just play the same thing over and over again? I'm a terrible eye doing the same thing. But I do know that there are certain things that I am probably better at that I'm going to get hired for and that are going to be encouraged. But hopefully every couple jobs, I get to do something like completely different if they'll let me and if I can convince them, but, you know, doing something like Fosse burden or even easy, that was the appeal of that job is like, you know, Joe was like, what don't you get to play? And I was like, nice and normal. (laughs) (laughs) I just want to be normal. It's like, you're making dog treats. I was like, great.
1: (laughs) So final question before we let you go. Um, as you said, you are not the target audience necessarily for a show like the boys you don't usually do junkets for blockbuster, billion-dollar franchises, um, et cetera, et cetera. Could you, and I'm sorry to put an actor on the spot like this, could you give us a reading of Iyakash teasing the back half of season two of The Boys? Because we don't want spoilers, obviously, but we're sure there are, dare I say, pyrotechnics to come. Like, what what, what would you say to, pretend this podcast is now called fanboys 101 okay you mean it and we are i mean some people call it that fan men i think at this point fan uh but you know what i mean so like can, can you can you give it give us some sizzle about what is happening on the show for the last the back half of it because we, we have to assume big things are coming bigger than exploding whales
3: i mean i always say play to your audience so laser my fucking tits
1: <laughs> there it is yeah. put right. that on the poster
3: thanks for the thanks for the fanboys
1: thanks. <laughs> thanks we finally you know we've been doing this podcast eight years and we finally serviced the fanboys thank you I'm
3: so glad <laughs>
1: <laughs> I think this went I think this went great
3: great I think. I'm so glad thank you Andy
1: <laughs> thanks Aya <laughs> Aya thank you so much